0: The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to one 909 Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencers Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting edge insights, tools and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Influencers uh, it's as unrehearsed. We're not going to edit it out. You know who I am. You know what the show is. So screw it if you don't like it. Um, my guest is already probably thinking, oh, my boy. I'm, oh, gosh, I'm in for a ride. And I did warn her before the show started that this is a different kind of podcast. So our guest today is Regina Golvinas Did I say it correctly?
1: You actually so, said it perfectly.
0: Uh, well, thank you. I'm, I practiced, believe it or not. And so... What we want to do is very briefly go through your biography and i warned her folks before uh, we started the the recording i wondered that this is a different kind of show that i often will dive right into the biography because the biography will fascinate me so here we go are you ready regina let's go okay i warned you so over the past 21 years let's pause right there So, you've been doing this 21 years. And I'm sure you've been asked, well, how do you get started doing this? And when someone has done something for as long as you have and is obviously an expert, my question is not how did you get started? Because that's just facts. It doesn't give the audience or myself any insight into the person. So, I want to ask instead, what has kept you passionate about it? You look like you know, the money, what has kept you passionate for 21 years after 21 years? Why are you so passionate about doing it today?
1: I will tell you, God, his truth. I believe I'm doing God's work for my own God's will for my life. A hundred percent undeniably, I am walking in God's purpose for my life.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's a strong statement. That's a really strong statement. So it's not just a matter of uh, work. It's a calling it is something you feel called by God to be doing. So that seems to me to be a fantastic tool. I'm sure you've gone through some of your hardships, your, your really deep valleys and challenges and very, very difficult times. And that's what kept you going.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind, um, I got into this without any formal training or education. So I am doing God's will for my life. I naturally have skills and abilities to understand people, understand money, and understand relationships and how it works. And if you really think about it, every single business, I don't care where you're at, what you're selling, every single business consists of only two things, people and money. And I have natural God-giving abilities to know how to navigate, facilitate both, and always have a win-win environment. So without formal training education, I'm doing this, and this has not been easy. I think the misconception is once you find your purpose, it's going to be easy. The reality is once you find your purpose, that's when the battle begins. Because I've wanted to quit a million times, but I don't feel that I have the luxury to quit what I'm doing.
0: We're going to stick a pin in that. I'm going to read a little bit of facts, then we're going to go back to this. So I told you already we're getting into your head. So she supported over 100 businesses through corporate restructuring and scaling back to profitability and long-term success. In 2019, she also st- started helping online entrepreneurs, coaches, and other businesses own- business owners create and scale their businesses. She's passionate about transforming everyday CEOs into extraordinary leaders. Now, let's unpin that pin and talk about what you said. So you said, you want something very interesting and it's very counterintuitive. Most people think, wow, they've found their passion. Now it's gonna be easy because now they at least have a North Star, a lighthouse to guide them. So you're saying something contrarian, and part of the title of my podcast is Edge. We want people who are counterintuitive and contrarian. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as contrarian, but your message certainly is. So talk about that, that seems interesting. How is it that once you found your passion, it became more difficult? More challenging? Well, Keep
1: in mind, I stepped into corporate restructuring um, and worked with a mentor for 17 years. So I stepped into this at 24 years old, over 20 years ago, still very male dominant industry. You know, CEOs are still primarily men. I mean, a lot of women are rising up to that, which is, I think is phenomenal, but it is, let's call it what it is, right? Especially 21 years ago. And I have no training, I have no education, I'm 24 years old, I look like a kid. And I'm walking into these companies, help telling them what to do and how to actually make money and become profitable and get out of trouble. So uh-huh. you have to understand, I had to fight for people to pay attention to me to begin with. And when I would go back crying to my, to my mentor, he's like, get back in the ring. He's like, I'm not gonna like, do this for you. You need to be able to hold your ground with these people. And I'm so grateful. And I was just thrown back into the fire every single time. But I can take it. I'm that personality. I'll put myself in the fire just to know that I can walk out of it without getting burned. But I think when this is where people struggle, they think because it gets challenging, they start to doubt their purpose because we have the misconception that it's supposed to be easy. And it absolutely is false. If more people realize that walking in my purpose doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that I'm on the right path then more people would actually lean in versus leaning out when the when the, t- when the times get hard because it's never been easy. Reorganizing companies through bankruptcies, you're dealing with a lot of chaos. You're dealing with a lot of pressure. You're dealing with a chapter 11, which is a federal bankruptcy court. You're dealing with so much stuff and people are just out of their minds. So it's so easy to say, you know what? I don't need this chaos. Like I don't need this level of crazy. But when you're walking in God's purpose, you lean in. And you begin to really understand when you stay in it long enough, you begin to see um, the the contrast. You begin to see things very differently. And you begin to see, okay, just because this is hard doesn't mean I'm on the wrong path. Maybe God is wanting me to lean in so I get better because I also get stronger in the process, not just the clients, because I evolve and get stronger in the process. So the biggest thing is if people realize that just because it's difficult doesn't mean you're walking in, in the wrong path. It's not for you. And you just have to lean in. You will expand your knowledge, wisdom, and information, your capacity to the levels you never thought are of possible for you.
0: Now, I'm going to dig into your brain a little bit. You mentioned chaos. Do you think you have a natural attraction to chaos do you like chaos is it something if if everything was orderly in your life and predictable would it drive you out of your mind do you need a little are you drawn to chaos and unpredictability because you're talking about how chaotic a bankruptcy can be and it's involving money and people are freaking out so number one are you attracted to the chaotic number two if you are does that relate to something going on in your family when you were a kid or did you have someone you modeled for that? And uh, number three, and we'll repeat the questions. I'm pawing a lot on top, I warned you about this. Number three, how do you, without being a professional psychologist, how do you calm down people who are freaking out around money? Because money and sex are the two biggest buttons people could possibly have. So we'll start you out with, are, are you secretly We'll edit this out. Are, hmm. you, well, are you secretly drawn to chaos?
1: No, the, the reality is my life is always extremely calm unless like, there's chaos coming from the outside. But I will tell you what I'm attracted to. I can bring clarity to chaos in a matter of minutes. I'm attracting to taming chaos and bringing clarity to it. There is no chaos in my life. I don't like drama. I don't like chaos. I don't like any of that stuff. Like, I just don't have it. I really genuinely don't. But I'm very good at taming chaos and bringing clarity and structure to chaos in a matter of minutes. And I'm ow, not exaggerating.
0: How? That's a skill. Do you understand? Uh, I'm a high creative. There are a lot of people who are high creative. I thrive on chaos, I thrive on not having okay. structure. I take the green screen off, but it's embarrassing how many journals and unfinished writing. So how have you learned? What was your process? What is your process of taming chaos? It's good to say that, but we don't know how you do it. To me, this is much more interesting than the details of how you teach people. Mm -hmm. We'll get there, I promise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But how? What is your methodology, your process for taming chaos? And did it come natural or did you have to learn?
1: Natural gifts, I can learn certain things in life, you either have them, just like uh, being extremely creative, right? You either have it or you don't. Being an artist, like a real true artist, either you, you either have it or you don't. You can refine your skills, but you either have it or you don't. I have uh, a mind that can look at the most complex situation and literally in seconds, see, um, take it apart into the basics and restructure it back up into something that's solid and into something that's very clear and into something that actually makes sense. It's just how my brain is wired. So the moment you throw chaos in front of me, the way that I see it, it's like I immediately see puzzle pieces. I don't look at like one big chaos. I immediately see puzzle pieces and my brain just starts to just like you put a puzzle pieces together of Legos. That's how my brain operates. I can take any pile of chaos. I see puzzle pieces and I take those pieces and I restructure them in a way that actually makes sense calms everything down, brings clarity. I know what to throw out. I know what to keep. I know what to scale. I know what to, it's just a natural ability.
0: Are you aware, are you aware that you're describing genius?
1: Um, so to be in full transparency, so I understand the skill is not um, something everybody, everybody possesses, but I also, because it's so easy to me, I sometimes have to remind myself that it's not that easy for other people.
0: What you're doing, so I've been doing neurolinguistic programming for 30 years. And basically we look at the structure of genius and the way you described it and what we call uh, body language studies, your illustrators, the way you were actually moving your hands and your eye movements were showing me that you're indeed being 100% accurate and truthful. And of course you would not have the reason not to be truthful. But you literally do see puzzle pieces so it's not a metaphor you actually see that in your mind which is fantastic have you ever thought of doing any visual arts do you draw do you paint do you have any talent along those lines
1: you know i remember being good at arts uh when i was very little i don't think my parents nurtured it so i don't know to be honest with you if i would be but I am very, i fascinated. I'll go to museums by myself. I love listening to music. Like that, I'm, that, I need that to nurture my soul. Like I just need that. So I find different outlets. I need to be in the nature a lot. Touch the leaves, talk to God, walk uh, bare feet on the ground. Like I need that. That feeds my spirit a lot. So that's my way of, I guess, with creativity. I believe creativity is the language of God. I do believe it. So that is my way of connecting.
0: 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. All right. Now we'll dive into some more facts. See, we're going to go back and forth through picking your brain and, and pulling things out of the ether that are interesting, at least to me. And if you in the audience find them interesting, great. If not, still pay attention. So, uh, the biggest mistakes to avoid when building, running, and scaling your business. Let's talk about that. So, what are the biggest mistakes? When it comes, this is a lot to unpack, building, running, and scaling. Let's talk about scaling because so many entrepreneurs have an ego about it. I'm the one who's doing this. I've got to be the one. So talk about what are the challenges in scaling. I don't think we have time to go into the rest of them. What are the big challenges in scaling?
1: Number one is uh, you have to know where where your knowledge gaps are. I think a lot of people try to scale a business where the knowledge base that they have is not enough for the next level. And I think this is where the ego comes in place. I'll get it, I'll, I'll take it, I'll take care of it myself. And this is how a lot of people end up in chapter 11 or actually closing the doors in chapter seven. You cannot take your business past your knowledge base. What happens is if your knowledge base is capped here at a certain point and you, you scale, you can manage to somehow scale your company past that knowledge base, At some point, it will begin to scale down. The problem is it's not going to stop here because this gap right here now has created a negative because you've made it with lack of decision-making ability, not because you're not smart enough, just because you don't know what this gap actually requires. Number two is people want to go really, really fast. And I always tell them, you're always scaling something. You're either scaling profitability or you're scaling chaos and you're just creating a bigger negative you're going to have to deal with in the future because bigger numbers, bigger projects, more money per job doesn't necessarily mean it's a more profitable job when you measure time versus money. Sometimes, the smaller jobs every single month is much more profitable, time, money, effort, and manpower than a, a three million dollar jobs in 12 months, for example. So, people are not un- aware of measuring time versus money. What is that's the cost thing? What is it? Huh? That's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. So, that's one thing, and number two, I think people save in the wrong places they are looking to hire more affordable uh, support versus more qualified support you know there is a difference between hiring a brilliant 16 20 an hour bookkeeper which is fantastic but that's data entry versus a 50 an hour somebody who can do data entry and actually analyze your financial statements because you most ceos have no clue what the numbers mean and i let numbers tell a story you know numbers are literally just the decision-making ability of a CEO. The numbers don't happen by themselves. Somebody has to make some decisions that actually bleed into the numbers. So they're they're skimming and hiring the right people. They're not asking for help enough. They're taking, they want to go really, really fast. And then they get like two two years down the line. They're like, holy crap, my margins are absolutely terrible. I have the wrong people in place. And now you can't grow on on thin ice. You're going to collapse at some point. And this is actually what happened because ultimately what is business? It's decisions made on a daily basis. It's not that complicated. People think business is very hard. It's not. It's actually really simple. It is really, really simple. What's hard is making correct decisions on a daily basis without having your ego drive the bus.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I've been to endless seminars where they talk about visualize your goal and affirm your goal. But no one talks about making good decisions. I don't know whether it's anti because it's an anti-intellectual environment we live in or they assume their audience is dumb or they themselves don't know how they've made great decisions. So is this a skill that can be learned to make? I know my answer, but this is about you. Can you and do you coach people to make great decisions? Do you give them a methodology on how to make a great decision?
1: Absolutely. So the first thing is to show them a list of bad decisions they've made. That's the first thing. That's the first thing, because otherwise they're going to argue with you that they're a genius. Well, if you're a genius, you would not be in the negative for the last twenty-four months. It's and this is not to put anybody down, but you have to bring facts to the table, right? Like um, for me, I don't like to argue. These are the facts. There is no argument, so let's move past it. But unless you show people proof as to why you're bringing the concept and the conversation to the table, they're going to go down the rabbit hole of uh, playing with their ego. You know what I mean? And nobody wins. Nobody wins. So I think. First, you have to show them where they made bad decision. But it's, I believe you can say anything to people. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. I have said the hardest things to people. And my clients have asked me that you don't get like punched on the spot with the things you say. I'm like, because I say it with love and I say it for their benefit. And when people say that, people see that no matter what you say, it's for their better good. They're going to take it and they're going to let you say hard things to them. So if I bring somebody a list of bad decisions that they've made, I will tell them why they were bad decisions. And I will point it on the map of the history of their company, how that decision negatively impacted their life, their business, genius. their marriage, whatever.
0: This is genius. This is absolute genius to, to, uh, to, you said a couple of things. You said your numbers are just uh, I'm misquoting you, I'm paraphrasing it, but essentially what you said, your numbers are just a measure of your decisions. It is. And then uh, your methodology is to show your clients all their bad decisions in order to get past their ego and to show them how to extract out what, so what makes for a good decision? Is it, looking at all your assumptions and saying is there data to support it what goes into making a, a good decision i would assume part of it is testing is if you're going to make a good decision you test your assumptions and get feedback is that correct not correct How, what goes into a good decision
1: well first we got to look at our decision making pattern right so because you have we all have a pattern of making our decisions number one number two um i believe a lot of decisions cannot be emotional emotional decisions is what leave people uh, in divorces, millions in debt, losing their friends and, and all that, so emotional decisions are extremely expensive, whether in money and relationships and time and effort. So I think it's very important to understand that being able to separate emotions from your actions. I think one of the reasons I'm so powerful with business owners and things like that, especially with structuring, I structuring, you know, even in my personal life, I really have an ability to separate my emotions from my actions. And, and completely separate the two, and logically look at something and say, "This is how we're going to do this. It doesn't matter how I feel. This is what needs to get done." So I think our ability to uh, separate decisions from uh, our emotions from our actions, and I think uh, looking at the patterns, and also sometimes you got to tell your client, "Look, I understand you want to make this decision. Let's unpack it. Let's let's just take it a step, a few steps back." have you used the decision previously? And if they say, yes, how did it work out for you? And none of these are to put the person down. All of this is to educate them, to be aware of their patterns, to be aware of their decision-making processes. And sometimes it's a matter of testing and sometimes it's a matter, okay, I understand you want to go this way. Is this an emotional decision? How is this going to impact the company? How is this going to impact your marriage? How is this going to impact your kids? How is this going to... So you have to kind of play back and forth a little bit to see what works, what doesn't, and sometimes people have enough money where they can afford to lose some to test their decisions, you know, but for example, just a very tangible example, a client came to me yesterday and said, look, I want to bring additional cash flow into the company, I want to take money and, and, you know, dump it into my company, I said, I completely advise you against it, and typically people say, if there's additional cash flow, bring it in, I said, look, you're taking money outside from somewhere else, but unless you change the way you've been, you've been doing your decisions, you're not not making the money you could be making because anything is wrong. You're not making the money you're not making because you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing. So adding money into your business without changing lack of action, now you've created bigger debt. We have to deal with six months from now and nothing is changing. You're going to feel more like crap because now you have bigger debt, less action taking, less clients, less money. But now you owe somebody. I said, what I said, it's my call. I said, absolutely don't put the money in. You know what needs to get fixed? What needs to get fixed is you being more responsible and accountable.
0: Well, now, see, now we're getting into your psychology because you said something. You said in your personal life, you can separate emotions uh, from, but isn't a personal life so like in a, uh, I got to be careful here. If you're, you said in your personal life, isn't it something we, we should take counsel from our emotions or our emotions are important? So are you talking about compartmentalizing? It's, uh, you can put your emotions in a compartment and look at it logically in a different compartment. Is my question clear or unclear? Or mm-hmm. just-
1: yeah, it's clear. So first I wanna clean this up a little. I'm very good at that, but I've also raised two teenage daughters by myself. Nobody can trigger me like those two. So I am not perfect Been separating the two. I just wanna put it out there. I'm human. I'm a woman, I'm a mother, and those two trigger me like nothing else in my life. So um, I think because I am more logical, I understand, okay, I have enough historical evidence to prove to me that my emotions, where I need to make logical decisions, never worked out in my benefit. It just made the process more complicated. So just like I would tell a client, let's look at the pattern. Let's look at the emotions. Let's look at the things and how it impacted you. I have the same ability to take myself outside of what I'm doing and see from a different, from an outside perspective, but I have to sit down, quiet myself, walk in the nature and I become literally my client. And then I ask myself, has it served you before? Is it going to serve you now? You know what I'm saying? So, but it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of practice not to engage with your emotion when that's the only thing you want to do. But ultimately, my, my goal is always, regardless of whether my emotions are up and down, that my actions remain consistent. And when you can nail down the process of your emotions being all over the path and your actions being consistent, you become unstoppable. People spend too much time trying to manage their emotions. I have realized that I can feel any way I want to feel, up and down, sideways, whatever. But I can still take the action that I need to take. So I don't need to spend my time managing my emotions. I just need to master doing the work in spite of how I feel.
0: Can I clone you? <laughs> you
1: clone me. <laughs> I
0: clone you and make a whole army of you. This is, this is absolutely amazing. And I also think this is an amazing, absolutely amazing ability. This too is genius. You could I don't know if you also teach your clients the skill set. Probably not, because no, no, I do. You do. Wow. We have
1: to. We have to. You know, they come to me for business, but we end up changing their lives, their marriages, their friendships, everything. Because unless I teach you these things, if the numbers are just a byproduct of who we are, of our decision-making abilities, how can I do that without teaching you how to do all of this?
0: This day and you see, we barely touched on what the actual businesses are. So I, I it, I'm just feel I have to get into some things. Uh, what's the difference between being your definition of the difference between being busy and productive? And how can you tell whether you're doing one versus the other?
1: The result. The result. What's the end result at the end of the day? That's it. The result will always speak for itself. The result will always speak for itself, whether you were busy all day or whether you, whether you, you were productive. So a lot of T&P times people keep busy, number one, because they don't know what to do. They don't want to do what needs to be done. And they're just avoiding doing the things that they actually should be doing. I can be productive in two hours when somebody's going to waste 10 hours doing absolutely nothing. And what's the what's the yield of your action? What's the yield of your decision-making at the end of the day? It, it, we Listen, people forget that everything, every single thing, tangible and intangible, can be measured. And everything, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our money, whether it's a decision-making process, I don't care what it is, everything has a result to it. So what's the result?
0: Hmm. I don't know if you can measure... The results of a relationship, a personal relationship, because oftentimes they're so intangible, the the benefits are so intangible and immeasurable. It can't be quantified in units. It can't be quantified in units like ergs or watts or volts. Or do you understand? Yeah. It's not quantifiable.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it, let me let me help, let me show you.
0: I love pushback. Let me. A, yeah, a, yeah. So
1: let me let let me help you with this one from my perspective um if i'm in a bad mood and if i come home and if i were married and i blow up at my husband and he had nothing to do with it there's going to be a there's going to be a result of that yeah i may not have to i may not be able to say okay he's mad at me 10 pounds (laughs) worth you know i may not be able to say that in in an actual tangible thing but there is still a result the result both can be a week's worth of chaos in a house where the kids get impacted, when my dog is barking nonstop, where I'm out of my mind and I can't work anymore and he's out of his mind. There is still a result.
0: I, I love you as my guess. Okay,
1: I want to add something else. If I come home, I want to take a little bit deeper. If I come home and I do all of that, and then on the next day I cannot operate and function and take care of my business, or he cannot operate and function, and take care of his business. There is now a monetary result because now he's Got making bad decisions.
0: It. Got it.
1: There is always a measure, measurement.
0: We are at the end of our 30 minutes. I want to point something out. We have not even had an opportunity to dive into the fact-based questions. You submitted like 10 of them, but what you're saying is so fascinating and, terms of all the value bonds you drop i'm gonna have to watch this one i know that the audience is gonna watch and listen to this let me conclude this by asking i know people i know people who are not gibbering idiots if they have one brain cell like an orange cat all orange cats share one brain cell by the way i'm a cat lover cats and money all right how do people stay in the conversation with you what is the way they can stay in touch with you do you have a gift to offer how do they do that?
1: Uh, social media. And I believe for your audience, they actually included a 30-minute business, business strategy link. And if I didn't, uh, please let me know and I will extend uh, it over to you. And you know what? I honestly, and I will not say things that are not true, you can probably tell by now, I would love to come back. I think we have so much to unpack. It's a great conversation.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I will talk to my producer, Tracy, and make sure that happens. Stay on with me, because I got to chat with you a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, Another fantastic, fantastic guest on The Influencer's Edge. Stay tuned for the next episode. And once again, thank you, Regina Gobinas. All right. Thank you you much. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411 That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to The Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack in sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencer's Edge Show.